of August is dedicated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. That will be the subject for today's conference, this first Saturday's conference. Um, kind of bright the light. Um, so obviously remember it's the 100 years of the apparition of, of Fatima and Our Lady said, in the end my Immaculate Heart will triumph. Um, you know, there's this famous words delivered uh, to the th- little, three little children at Fatima, which have now become very popular words, people always reminding us of, um, you know, okay, don't worry, in the end the Immaculate Heart will triumph. But notice, Our Lady said, in the end, she didn't say, I will triumph, or in the end, my Immaculate Conception will triumph. She spoke, spoke specifically of her Immaculate Heart. Um, and we'll hope to trace a little bit of the history of this devotion, and of course, the object of this devotion, um, a little more specifically, help bring out some things um, for our own spiritual benefit. So we know this month, August, dedicated to the Immaculate Heart. So uh, um, the best thing I could do, I gave a, um, you know, when you want to find some history, the Catholic Encyclopedia. So I'll kind of give a quick run through over the history of the, uh, this devotion to the Immaculate Heart. Um, and, but we have to remember, like everything, just like it's in the devotion to the Sacred Heart, we didn't have the beginning of the church, you know, the litany of the Sacred Heart, all this, all these um, prayers. It, it, it developed organically um, through the, the, the years of, of the church. Remember, it's almost like, devotion is almost like dogma. Um, and you could even say it kind of goes hand in hand. Remember, devotion to our Blessed Mother, everything is based in Mariology on the fact that she is the mother of God and everything, all the other prerogatives and everything else which we speak about our Blessed Mother comes from the mother of God. Well, she's the mother of God. Well, necessarily, she's the mother of Jesus. Well, necessarily, if she's going to be the mother of God, she has to be most pure, most holy, ergo, machicans. So that's how it goes um, in theology. So I'll just read a couple excerpts which the Catholic Encyclopedia does much better than I could um, giving a little history of the devotion of the Immaculate Heart. <clears throat> so the author um, says, The history of the devotion to the heart of Mary is connected on many points with that to the heart of Jesus. Nevertheless, it has its own history, which, although very simple, is not devoid of interest. The attention of early Christians was attracted by the love and virtues of the heart of Mary. The gospel itself invited this attention with exquisite discretion and delicacy. What was first excited was compassion for the Virgin Mother. It was, so to speak, at the foot of the cross that the Christian heart first made this acquaintance of the heart of Mary. Simeon's prophecy paved the way and furnished the devotion with one of its favorite formulae and most popular representations, the heart pierced with the sword. But Mary was not merely passive at the foot of the cross. She cooperated through charity, as St. Augustine says, in the work of our redemption. Another scriptural passage to help in bringing out the devotion was the twice-repeated saying of St. Luke, when Our Lady said, you know, she kept all these things within her heart, thereby pondering over them. A few of the Virgin's sayings, also recorded in the Gospel, particularly the Magnificat, disclose new features in Marian psychology, Some of the fathers also throw light upon the psychology of the Virgin. For instance, St. Ambrose. When his commentary on St. Luke, he holds Mary up as the ideal of virginity. And St. Ephraim, 
when he poetically sings of the coming of the Magi and the welcome accorded them by the humble mother. Little by little, in consequence of the application of the canticle of loving relations between God and the Blessed Virgin, the heart of Mary came to be for the Christian church, the heart of the spouse of the canticles, as well as the heart of the Virgin Mother. That's what we often forget, sadly, which modern exegesis um, does not see whatever. The canticle of canticles is not, uh, it's not a love story. It's not, yes, it is between a spouse and, uh, or, and her, or well, between the spouse and her, her husband, or, but it's not between two uh, physical, if you are, two human beings. It's between, first and foremost, Our Lady uh, and, uh, and God. It's between, as well as applied to the consecrated virgins and to Christ himself being um, their uh, spouse. So it's, sadly, people lose that. The Canticle of Canticles is not something um, charnel. It's not something uh, physical. It's much deeper than that. It's where modern exegists, one of the many ways modern exegists, uh, loses footing in, um, in tradition of the church. So some other passages from the Sapiential books, likewise, understand as referring to Mary, in whom they personify wisdom and her gentle charms to strengthen this impression. We, read, we heard that in today's Mass and the Saturday's Masses, which talks about um, the, the love, the fear, the knowledge, the hope which she has. And all these were expressed, or these, all these are expressed in, if you will, the heart, um, uh, the heart of our, our Blessed Virgin. The Magnificat is an expression of her humility, and in answering the women of the people, who in order to exalt the Son, proclaim the Blessed Mother, did not Jesus himself said, Blessed rather are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So the early Christians, the fathers of the church, are going to look to the sacred scriptures, the different aspects. Our Lady said very few things in sacred scripture, or recorded in sacred scripture. She, she probably said a lot more. But very few things were recorded. But the little things what they did see shows of her great love, attention, dedication towards her son, of her, um, her wholehearted feel abandonment to um, to him and to the will of God. Remember that you know, bless you know, humble handmaid, the humility of heart. We always talk about the humility of heart. Of course, Christ's heart, but Mary's heart was um, the greatest, if you will, whole human heart which was humble. So later on in the church, we get other different um, saints, St. Saint Bernard, uh, the Seven Dolors, which is a popular devotion, and still is, how it started to develop and grow. Um, there's, I'm not going to read all, because if you'd like, you can just look at the Catholic Encyclopedia on the Internet. They give you all the different saints in the mid, uh, from the medieval times to... Um, early Baroque, and they talk about the heart, the devotion to the heart of, um, of our mother, the pure heart. I'm most, most specifically going to focus on, uh, or just talk about, the pair, uh, Father John Eudes, who um, was an ardent supporter, an ardent um, writer on the, both the Immaculate Heart of Mary, he called her the, the, the August Heart of Mary, the Pure Heart of Mary. He had many different sayings. And he also was an apostle for the Sacred Heart. Um, it was he who helped propagate this devotion to make it public, who pushed to have a feast in honor of the Heart of Mary. He actually composed masses in the office uh, for her. 
Um, <clears throat> so this stops earlier. He, the, we know that, of course, it was Pius Twelfth who made the feast, but when this was written in the early uh, turn of the century, the teens, at that time there was not one yet, a uh, feast of the most pure heart. But we know that in Pius XII uh, created, on the 22nd of August, to close the octave of the Assumption, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So the Mass that you celebrated today is the same which we'll celebrate in about three weeks' time, the Immaculate Heart of Mary. So we see a little bit how the Christians, they took the, these small uh, portions of sacred scripture, the followers of the church, as they meditate on her life, of her expression um, towards her son at the cross, at the, at the creche. We see they pull out these um, sentiments of, of hope, of charity, of love, of abandonment to God. So when Our Lady was first conceived, her immaculate conception, she already was at a higher holiness than any other saint, if you will, or even all the saints combined. She was, as Gabriel Wright called her, full of grace. She didn't, ha she was, you know, it's like the, the ball was getting bigger and it was always, as it was getting bigger, the air which was being um, filled was filled with grace. We can take that um, poor analogy. At her first moment, she was holier than anyone, uh, obviously, besides her son. But it didn't stop there. We know that after her conception, and of course, um, <clears throat> when she began to grow and to grow in holiness, it never stopped. Everything that Mary did was for God, was for Him, even though she didn't have the beatific vision, she couldn't see everything that was to come in the future. She nonetheless, and we see that in the Annunciation, was the humble handmaid of, uh, of God. Everything what she did was for the love of God. <clears throat> Every little thing from sewing was filled with great charity, which made her heart, or if you will, gave her heart that uh, um, sang the Immaculate Heart, most pure, free from stain, free from all um, sin, free from any imperfection or whatever it may be. But more importantly, her heart was, as we said, totally devoted to God, but this heart was a free will donation. Our hearts are kind of half in and half out. Um, we give God our heart, but it's kind of you know, filled with some stains, filled with errors, filled with our own um, imperfections. But our, our mother's heart was most pure, was most holy. And it wasn't just a one-time deal. Our lady didn't give her a heart and it's like, uh, okay, um, that's, that's, that's it. Every day, every little moment, every aspect of her life was constantly for God, for um, His glory, for her, uh, her Son. So this power which Our Lady um, receives, as we hear in the um, apparitions of Fatima, that in the end her immaculate heart will triumph. So if she is going to triumph, that means she has a certain bit of power, a certain, um, if you will, merit or a certain um, right so we'll get a little bit of theology. There's three types of merit. There's merit perfecte de condigno, de condigno e de congruo. The term merit means a reward. So you do something, you merited that reward. Um, we merit some, something when we have obligations to be filled, and as a result, we get that reward. 
Spiritual merit, which, which supposes grace and charity, so you have to be in sanctifying grace, means a right to a supernatural reward. So as we mentioned, the three uh, merits. Perfecte de condigno. This only is for Christ himself. These acts are done in equal proportion to the reward, since these are divine acts. So that means perfect de condigno, strict justice. Christ doesn't act. He does uh, whatever one act of his, in his earthly life. He merited infinite rewards because the person who is doing this is Christ himself. He is um, uh, God and man. And so he merits infinite rewards. It's worthy, his actions. We, on the other hand, don't have acts perfected de continuo of worthiness. We're just de continuo. They're worthy acts, which are, of course, a supernatural reward. It's because of a member of grace that we um, can do these acts. It's not because of our own personal nature or something that we've done or um, attributed to ourselves. It's bestowed on us by God, grace. So this gift that we've earned, it's for the kingdom of heaven. Not, these acts can only be for ourselves. So when we do a good act, when we merit something, we merit, if you will, can we merit eternal reward or something, well, I shouldn't say eternal reward. We can merit um, virtues, not in the strict sense, but we're using grace um, as a... Um, as that means. It's what's called distributive justice. So God gives us grace. We never merited grace. We use grace um, in order to gain merit or a reward. And so, yes, it is attributed to us, but it's because of God's grace that we were able to gain that reward, gain that um, merit. So lastly, and this is where it um, concerns us. We have the merit de congue propria, so of becomingness. This is founded on the friendship of God rather than on justice. So St. Thomas says, Since a man in a state of grace does God's will, it is keeping with the properties or rights of friendship that God should do his will in saving another person for his sake, although it can happen that there will be an obstacle on the other side of the person. Who has done God's will to the fullest? Who as a result, is the closest to God's friendship. That would be, of course, our Blessed Virgin. She has the highest level of charity. She has the ear of her son. And so she can, if you will, merit for us, not in the strict sense, our reward, our eternity, but she is, because of her divine charity, because of being close to God, God, if you will, looks upon this and can, uh, not through her uh, works, necessarily stricto senso, because of their close friendship with God, give other rewards or merits to us poor sinners. So it is out of mercy and not out of justice that God does this. But it's because of her eminent sanctity, because of her eminent holiness, that the Blessed Virgin um, can merit for us. So on July 7, 1952, Pope Pius XII issued the encyclical and most people don't know about this encyclical, Sacro Vergente Anno. So this was addressed to the Russians. Remember, we're in Cold War. The pinko commies are everywhere. They're the worst, uh, our worst enemies, both of the West. Um, but also, they're the most anti-Christians, of course, along with the Nazis. 
um, of the modern, modern era. So he writes to the people, he says, Dear people of Russia, health and peace of the Lord. While the holy year was happily drawn to conclusion after it had been given us by divine disposition to come and define the dogma of the assumption to heaven, body, and soul, holy mother of God, the Virgin Mary, we received numerous expressions of the most lively exaltation of people all over the world, many things which they begged the whole Russian people to suffer. So there's a special need, uh, as Saint, uh, or as Pius XII reminds us, to invoke the mother of God in favor of a people who are literally cut off from the vicar of Christ. There, even before, uh, of course, communist Russia, they were orthodox. Uh, they were separated from, from Christ, but uh, separated from the vicar of Christ. So he's reminding them of the importance of the Virgin, to consecrate to the Virgin Mary, and why. He goes on to say, These supplications were particularly pleasing to us. For our far paternal affection embraces all people, it is addressed in a particular manner to those who, although separated for the most part from the apostolic see by the vicissitudes of history, nevertheless still retain the name of Christian, but find themselves in such a situation that it is very difficult for them to hear our voice and to know the teachings of Catholic doctrine that they are even pushed by deceitful and pernicious contrivances to reject faith and even the very idea of God. So he calls upon the Blessed Virgin through her merits, de Congro, to, if you will, merit for us, to re- for those who are furthest from Christ, the Russian people, but not only, of course, the Russian people, many who are farther away from our Lord. So, there's a, a car problem. <laughs> so he calls upon the Blessed Virgin, who has, is the most powerful of all in heaven, to, if you will, gain for those who are the furthest away from, or some of the furthest away, from Christ himself. So her power, as, Saint, uh, or as Pius XII reminds us, is because of her eminent holiness. So the holiness of our Blessed Virgin, as we talked about, is eminent. Her intercession for us is the highest of all. But as you will lastly focus on the devotion to this Immaculate Heart. She is most sweet and most kind. She never ceases to watch over us, to look at us, to watch um, out for every little, um, every little need. If we think, if Pius XII asked her to watch over the people who were furthest from him, what can we expect of those who are most close to her? Obviously, she should have a, a more of a devotion, more of a love, more of a tender care for us than for the children who have gone astray. Her mission for us was confirmed on the cross. Remember, our Lord gave her over to, uh, to St. John, or in the person of St. John, representing all of mankind, the whole of humanity, when he said, you know, this is my... Uh, uh, woman, this is thy son, and so forth. So if the Trinity was pleased to choose the mother of the Word incarnate, to please to choose the Blessed Virgin, why should we shy away from ever uh, confiding more into her, ever being, if you will, more of her children, more of her um, faithful children? If she is in control, if we remember that in the Immaculate Heart will triumph, She's, if you will, going to do a perfect job. She did a perfect job for her son. Why would she do less of a perfect job for us? 
So this should inspire both hope and confidence. We're being watched over. The Immaculate Heart loves us um, eminently. And so if someone loves us, they're going to do everything that they can to um, watch over for our, our good welfare. So we need to not worry, need not fret, but put our trust evermore in the heart of the Blessed Virgin. She's not going to fail us. She didn't fail her son. What might seem as an apparent failure it was the cross for many, was the opposite. We might have a cross, we might have a, a quote-unquote apparent failure in the eyes of the world, but it's not, um, uh, it's not that in the eyes of God. We might have a cross, but it's for a greater benefit. So let us not wet, fret, let us not worry. Put our trust evermore in the Blessed Virgin. Let us in turn ask that our hearts be more conformed to hers. It's because of her charity, her humility, her purity, all these virtues um, that her heart is free from stain. Remember, holiness isn't just, um, you know, okay, don't do sin, stay away from it, but it's also about doing good, doing good and holy actions. Um, so we have to, you know, we can't just like live in a bubble uh, and say, okay, let's not do anything for today and my day, my day is good. If I just stay in the house, you know, I don't have to do anything. If I just kind of, all right, if I close my eyes, I'm holy. No, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Um, I mean, that'd be great. You don't have to just, you know, uh, be the perfect quietist uh, 21st century movement. Um, so let us uh, do good, have our hearts like the uh, Blessed Virgins, holy, humble, pure. And purity is not, um, yes, it's the virtue we heard, the virtue of purity, uh, you know, we know obviously that means being pure um, in, our, uh, in our bodies, but pure is, is much deeper than just being pure in our bodies. Pure, purity is, is also free from all sin, free from anything that is, uh, that is, unholy, uh, you know, that is unholy, being t- attached to God. So, we shouldn't look that virtue in a, um, you know, a, a solely uh, physical way. It's much deeper than that. But this battle of good and evil, which we were reminded at Fatima, uh, already, uh, we already heard these same words, or in a sense heard these same words, in the end my immaculate heart will triumph. If you remember from the first pages of Genesis, God the Father tells of this victory. I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie and wait for her heel. So, there's a large debate among exegists. We won't go into whether it's ipsa or ipsum, whether it being the Blessed Virgin Mary or the Son. But whatever uh, the end of that discussion leads us, it's, of course, the Blessed Virgin who gave us Christ. It's a blessed, we're not, you know, as the Protestants uh, falsely believe, we don't worship Mary. Mary is part of our salvation, but she's not, um, she's not God. She has a, an integral um, part, uh, but she is not God. And the integral part is reminded us in Genesis, she will crush the head of Satan, she will conquer, and we need not worry. We need not fear. Um, the opposite of just being a little bubble, we have to do good things. Ask our hearts to be more like unto hers. Purify our hearts. Render them to be other hearts according to the heart of Mary. 
and therefore children of God. And so um, as we begin this month of, of August, as we head towards two great feasts, of course, the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin and the, the feast which ends that octave as Pius XII asked us to is the Immaculate Heart. Let us have our hearts like unto the Blessed Virgins uh, in all of our actions. And also when we um, trying to be holier, when we're actually trying to do good things, um, remind ourselves that Our Lady is there for us. She's not a, 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 a something pure, uh, you know, she's a nice statue and everything. Uh, and not beautiful statues, but she's also a model for us, for our hearts, because also she's a great intercessor. She's the best intercessor of all the saints in heaven. And so let us not cease to call upon her, call upon her Immaculate Heart, um, especially in times of difficulty, in times that we live in this church and in the world, uh, to confide into her and, and at the end not worry. Uh, so that's the greatest uh, virtue, if you will, of the, the evil one, is worry and fear. He loves to um, bring about that. And if you look at the children of Fatima, they didn't worry, they didn't fear, even when they were, and it was this month in August um, that the children didn't um, go to um, the apparition site on the 13th of August. It was this month in August of 1917 where the children were kidnapped by the mayor and they didn't receive the apparitions till the 19th of August. So they didn't worry, they didn't fret, uh, what is he going to do with us? They, the mayor said they were going to put them in boiling oil. And, um, but the children were looked straight to the Mac at heart, didn't worry. Um, so let us follow the little children of, of Fatima, looking to the Blessed Virgin, looking to a heart. Their hearts can be more pure, more holy, more humble. That's most difficult virtue is humility. And we can never say, I'm, I'm pretty good at humility. It's pretty... I'm, <laughs> Don't need to work on that today. Uh, so always work on humility. Always work on charity. Those two virtues which with God kind of well, at the end of the day. How humble you were and how charitable you were. Uh, he's not going to ask you, as St. Paul says, how much did you give to the poor? How much work did you did? But first and foremost, I'll ask you your humility and your charity. So those two virtues were eminently uh, exercised by the Blessed Virgin. So let our hearts be more like unto hers. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, and will God end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.